and the rest of us. Let's uh, turn to Psalm 11. Psalm 11, that's kind of our jumping off point this morning. I preached a little different type message this morning, uh, as we won't be staying primarily in just one passage, but we'll be looking at several. And, uh, of course, this is uh, Memorial Day, and... uh, Of course, most people say, well, it's the official start of summer. Well, we've certainly gotten the temperatures for a change. uh, But uh, actually, it's a time of of remembrance of those who have served. And uh, one of the things that we would like to do is uh, those that have served uh, in the U.S. military, if you would just stand for a moment, if we could just say thank you to those. Come, Come on, come on. I know we got more than that. All right. Can we just give him a hand? Of, all right. Just want to say thank you. Uh, we don't often applaud around here, but uh, uh, when we want to say thank you, that's a very nice way of doing that. And uh, uh, those that served uh, in the military, uh, that was one of the things I've always wanted to do, but the Lord said no. And uh, probably both the military and I are better off for that uh, decision. Uh, It's always better to follow the Lord. And uh, what I'd like to do is just preach a sermon. I mean, we often, it just seems like the headlines get worse and worse, do they not? Uh, uh, Now, uh, you're even unsafe in the restrooms anymore. Uh, and uh, we have a Supreme Court that has certainly just gone berserk. I don't know any other way to put that. Uh, I look at our presidential candidates, and it only fears me. It fills my heart with fear uh, of what these people may accomplish should they do what they want or what they say they want to do. And uh, yet, we're we're not the first people that have lived in adverse times. And uh, so the question that I would like to ask is, what can we do or what should we do as Christians, as Americans in this day? And Psalm 3, the uh, psalmist basically asked this question. He says, if the foundations be destroyed, in verse 3 of Psalm 11, what can the righteous do? Now, this is in answer to verse 1. He says, in the Lord I put my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? He said, I, I put my trust in the Lord. How am I going to run away from what's happening In my world, in the world in which I live, he says, because the wicked seem to be in charge. They bend their bow, they make their arrow, they privately or secretly shoot at the upright in heart. And he asks this question in response to that. It looks like the wicked are having their ways. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And we just, uh, early this year, we spent our Sunday nights talking about how to witness to people. And one of the things that uh, I tried to bring out repeatedly, if someone 
will not accept the Bible as God's Word, you know what? You, you can't witness to them. If they're going to tell you, well, the only way you can understand the, the Bible is by having Joseph Smith's book, what, what can you do? You can't do anything. If someone has made up their mind, and we've all heard this on the news media and things, that the greatest reflection of morality in the human society is sodomy, homosexuality. I mean, that's the new, new, new truth. What, what can you do? You cannot reason with someone who's already made up their mind. And we have some people out there that uh, think that uh, we ought to get guns and go shoot people. Uh, good night. Why don't we just... Uh, I, there's not even a response for that. That is just so far removed from anything that's in this book. No one reading God's Word has taken up arms to harm another human being since the days of Jesus Christ. They had to do conquest in the land of Canaan, and certainly there was warfare involved. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That's, that's not how you fight the battle. By the way, if you really want to help these people in their cause, persecute them. Make them look like the victims. That's what they want. That, that doesn't work that way. As we look around, right and wrong are now an argument of words. It no longer is based on truth. Opinion stands supreme. Where once truth was unquestioned. People love to say, well, that's your truth. Well, if it can belong to you, it's a lie. Because truth does not belong to any individual. Truth is true. Truth is truth because it is. You cannot modify truth. My mother had a cure for that. It was rather painful. Uh, and and uh, it was not something that you wanted to repeat. Uh, and, and I'm glad for that discipline. I, I just wish we could do something with Congress. But you can't turn Congress over your knee. And if you could, it wouldn't do them a bit of good now, would it? And so the question is, what do we do? And, I, and, and before we get into the, the actual directions that God has in His Word for us, I, I do want us to turn to Jeremiah chapter 5 for a moment and, and realize that whether that time has arrived or not, that is not for us to judge, but there will come a time, as there did in the nation of Israel, where God's judgment cannot be avoided. 
God had drawn the line. And in verse 1, he's talking to Jeremiah. He says, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man. If there be anyone that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth. And I will pardon it. You hear what God says? He tells the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I want you to make a thorough examination. I want you to run through the city. I, I want you to talk to people. I want you to see if you can find just one man in the city of Jerusalem who still seeks God, who still wants to live right. And God says, I'll forgive you for that. Now, what God was saying is, I'm not going to recognize it. Because my judgment is coming. There, there comes a time. We, it is not up to you and I. I'm not here standing as some prophet saying God's going to destroy America. We, we know that God's judgment has come upon every people who has done the things that we are now doing. God will not pardon innocent blood. And that's what abortion is all about. You know, it used to be that in the Bible days, they had a little place that they went and, and it was all hidden in a grove of trees. That's what the, the grove means. It was planted with trees round about because if you saw the evil deeds that went on inside that grove, you would do something to stop them. Because they'd take little children in there and they would offer them to the gods as human sacrifices. And they would commit every kind of immoral degradation known to mankind. That's why God told the prophets to cut down the groves, to, to clean that up. He said, my, my place of worship is going to be a place where people can see and know what's going on. And yet, I am so glad that I have this book called the Bible. Because no matter how hopeless it is out there, God still has His people. And He still has things for us to do. Can we say amen to that? And I want us to look at just a few passages today. Let's go to Second Chronicles 7.14. Probably the best known passage on this, as it has been preached many times on national platforms and things over the years. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And this is God speaking to Solomon. Solomon has prayed. He has dedicated the temple. God has appeared to him the second time. And God is answering Solomon's prayers. And this is a verse that has been quoted often. It's not directly talking about us today, but there certainly is an application here. He says, If my people, which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear, heal their land. Now, God is answering Solomon. He said, if I shut up heaven and, and send famine on the land, if I remove my people out of the land, and all of these things did happen to Israel. The temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's armies. The city of Jerusalem was raised uh, uh, shortly after 600 A.D. And uh, for the next 70 years, the children of Israel lived in other lands. Yet God brought them back. By the way, I always like to ask the question, who's living there today? Descendants of the very same people. Jerusalem belongs to the Jew. God gave them that land. But you'll notice here that as God is speaking to Solomon, he he says, if my people... Now, you have to understand something if you understand your Bible at all. That in order to be God's people, individuals in that group of people, each one is to be maintaining their own personal relationship with God. Can we say amen to that? I mean, the law was very clear. If you were going to live among the people of Israel and disdain the laws of God and refuse to obey them, you were to be cut off from Israel. You were not accepted as part of Israel as a nation. In the New Testament, in Jesus' day, that that class of people were, were were classified, were called sinners. When uh, that phrase is used in the Bible, when the woman comes in and washes Jesus' feet, she was one of those. She was a Jewish person that had no concern for anything of the law, any of the traditions of the Jewish people, total disdain for everything that was godly. But somehow she heard Jesus preach. And she wanted that forgiveness that only Jesus could give. And Jesus said she got it. Now, there are those who want to say that the church is a continuation of Israel. And, and I want to be very clear this morning, that is not the case. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. God's plan up until the resurrection of Jesus Christ was Israel. He worked through Israel. His word was put out. That was the testimony that God had given to the ancient world, was the people of Israel. And we will see as we go through the Old Testament, as you read those things, there were many people who were Gentiles that heard the testimony. A multitude, it says, a mixed multitude. Now, they got into trouble, but they followed Moses and Israel out of the land of Egypt. Every once in a while, we run into a strange person, like Moses' father-in-law. Where in the world did he come from? And yet, he offered sacrifices to the Most High God. 
And, and so, we do not have all of the answers, and we don't know, but God has always accepted anyone who will come to Him His way. God does not make exceptions. He does not accept half-truths. God's program for the world at this point in time and since the day of Pentecost has been the local assembly of believers. Not some corporate entity, not some denomination per se, but people who believe this book called the Bible gathered in the biblical order doing things the Bible way. We call that a church. And I believe historically it can be defined as Baptist because that is our doctrines. That is what we practice. Is just as simple and Bible as we can. You see, God wants us to worship Him individually. But the reason we have church services is because He wants us to worship Him corporately. Now, what's the first thing that He told Solomon? If my people, who are called by my name, what's that first thing? shall humble themselves. You ever met anybody so humble that they couldn't pronounce the H? Just an humble preacher. Anybody tells me that, I get a little nervous. You know, humility of all traits that a human being can have That is the most elusive. Because the moment you open your eyes and say, hey, I think I finally found a little bit of it, it disappears. That's how easily pride gets in. The greatest battle you will face in your life is not cigarettes, is not alcohol, it's pride. How many of you have ever thought you were doing right when you were actually doing wrong? Can you raise your hand? Come on, you can't be honest at church. Where are you going to be honest? I mean, we've all done that. Why do we do that, pride? That's how it works. Pride. Bible says only by pride cometh contention. Pride is the sin that made the devil into who and what he is today. How do we humble ourselves? You know, people used to think that they humbled themselves by sitting in a room all alone and not talking to other people. And when they realized that wasn't enough, then they would chain themselves to the wall and beat themselves until they couldn't uh, uh, hurt themselves anymore. And they would do without food and, and, uh, and all of the things that are necessary for life and starve and torture themselves. And when that didn't work, then they began to starve and torture other people.
What we're talking about is what happened in the monasteries in the Middle Ages and then it led to the Inquisition. I'll tell you, some of the darkest chapters in human history have been written by people who have tried to be humble. I'll tell you how you humble, how you humble yourself. Is you stop thinking about yourself, start thinking about God. That's how you humble yourself. When is the last time you made a life decision based on what God wants me to do instead of what is the most expedient or what's going to get me the best paycheck or you see humbling myself is turning the direction of my life over to the Lord Jesus Christ I want to be very clear here I want you to be very careful Because the world is full of cults and manipulators who want you to do that very thing to them. How many are old enough to remember Jim Jones and the Guyana tragedy? That's how he did it. Was he was able to get people to turn their will over to him and his teachings... And by the way, it wasn't a tragedy. It was wholesale murder is what it was. I've tried to explain this to people who visit our church, and sometimes the words just don't seem to penetrate. But the only way you can know that you're turning your will over to God and not some human being and not some organization is because it's written down and because it's plain, because it's not something that someone tells you is in the Bible, if you look close enough, but something is very plain in the Bible because it's printed there. The words of this book are your protection. They will protect you from sin, but they'll protect you from yourself. Amen? And we have a lot... But, Pastor, that book's hard to understand. Yeah, it is. And being God's Word, not man's words, don't you think it ought to be a little difficult to understand? And I despise what mankind has done. We're going to simplify the Bible. Could I illustrate it this way? How many of you have ever had to eat simplified food? Those of you that have done it, you're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. That's where we take it and we put it in a blender And we add water to it. How many of you have 
saw the little baby food jars there and said, man, I wonder what that tastes like. Barf. I don't know how them little kids stand it. But it's because their taste buds haven't developed. They just don't know any better. But as they grow up, you want something that has a little flavor to it. And it would be very bad to take a nine-month-old baby and give him a lot of salt and spices. That, that would just not be right. But I'll tell you what, I don't like simplified food. I don't like drinking warm jello because nothing else will stay down. I, I just don't like that. And the same thing is true when we simplify God's Word. Someone said, but God's Word's still in there. Yeah. And that turkey and dressing is in that little bottle too, right? But if I have a choice, I want it all in one piece on the table so I can cut it up and eat it my way, not Gerber's. Amen? You see, humbling ourselves is part of the labor that it takes to get in this book and find out what it says. Humbling ourselves is allowing the Bible to tell us that some things are right and that some things are wrong. We live in a world where nobody's wrong anymore. And we wonder why they can't balance the budget. It's not too hard to figure out. You see, it says, humble themselves. And we've got to keep moving or I'll never get through it. I'm only on point one. And pray. When's the last time you took this country to God in prayer? Now, if you're a member of this church, we do so the fourth Sunday of every month. Or is it the third? Yeah, no, the fourth, yeah. We, we pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our Congress. Shall humble themselves and pray. And what does God say? Seek to elect the best officials and seek to rectify the injustices of government. No. He said, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's just like we covered in Sunday school. If you want to love God's people, just love God. You start doing right and it's going to affect people around you. Do you know that when I was a child, a teenager... I grew up in a Christian home and in a church. And if you had experimented with marijuana, whether you breathed it in or not, if you'd have a joint in your hand, you were in the extreme minority. Now, I'll tell you, that's not true today. Do you know that if you had any history including marijuana use, that the Secret Service used to uh, deny clearance, security clearance, if you had any documentable history of drug use of any kind, even just smoking marijuana. Well, that all ended with the Bill Clinton administration because he couldn't get half the people he wanted working for him approved. And so they had to change the rules. 
the vast majority. I wouldn't want to embarrass people here in church by asking those that had never touched one to stand up because some people would lie. Because a lot of people have. The Bible says, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know what we have going on in churches today? We have churches seeking how to be seeker-friendly is what they call it. Uh, I remember reading a book many years ago. It's called The Stained Glass Barrier. People will not come past the stained glass windows to hear the gospel. Well, this used to be a synagogue. Somebody said, can you change those Jewish symbols in there? Yeah, you give me the money, we'll change it, maybe. Uh, we'll probably clean it up a little bit. We're not. Afraid. It, there's no such thing as a stained glass barrier. It's people looking for some excuse. And so why don't we get it over with right away? If you're, on, if you're in this auditorium today and you're on your way to hell, I don't want to make you comfortable. I don't want you to leave here feeling good about yourself and your life direction. I want you to understand that you need to turn around and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. I'll be the first to tell you the reason I'm a Baptist preacher is because you don't get saved by being a member of our church. You don't come to our church and work your way toward God. You've got to have the issue of salvation settled before we'll let you get in the baptistry. Amen? Because the salvation is the work of God in your life. And what we need to do is we need to start as individuals and as a church, instead of seeking how we can please the world and accommodate the world, that we can please and accommodate God. I hope those songs we sang this morning spoke to more than just vocal exercises. My Jesus, I love Thee. I only have one issue with that song. That glittering crown's not going to be on my brow. It's going to be on the ground at the feet of Jesus. Amen. But you do get to put it on for just a minute before you throw it down again. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. And, and that's what we're going to do. And so uh, the Bible says that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face... And turn from their wicked ways. How many of us got things in our life that we need to work on? Well, if you want God to bless and heal this land, that's what we got to work on. As a church. As individuals. In our worship to God. That when we come to church, we don't have the cookout tomorrow on our mind or whatever we're going to do or the traffic that we had to fight to get here and, and uh, all the trouble that it takes to get a parking spot. The devil just wants to discourage you. we got to get our heart 
on seeking His face. And you see, God said He'll hear our prayers. I still believe God can heal America. But He's not going to as long as we have rock concerts on Sunday morning and Broadway shows on Friday night. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for people who are going to humble themselves, get in this book called the Bible. Start letting God make decisions for them with His written Word. It takes effort. But if we'll do that, we'll seek His face. And it says, Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is one of the strangest guys in the Bible. And you read through some of these prophecies in the book of Ezekiel, and it's just just like, God said that? Oh, yeah? And yet Ezekiel lived in a time Israel had already been partially removed from the city of Jerusalem. Ezekiel was among the captives. He did spend some time in the city, and, and he was assigned for them. And God gave him a vision. In verse 1, it says, He cried also in mine ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. And every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Verse 2, And I beheld, and behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north. And every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen and with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said, In mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. And it goes on. Here's Ezekiel's vision. God says, I'm going to judge Jerusalem. And he called the destroyers and, and Ezekiel saw them come. But there was a guy with a pen and an inkhorn by his side. And he said, I want you to go through the city of Jerusalem and I want you to find those people that are still upset at the abominations of the land. That haven't given in to the changed standards. And I want you to mark them because I'm going to protect them. 
You see, I've had a lot of people in times past and even recent history, you know, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to protect yourself when everything falls apart? Well, I'll tell you one thing nobody's going to do that lives in New York City, and that's get out of this place. Yeah, the traffic is going to just shut everything. Nobody's going anywhere. Don't think you're going to protect yourself. Here, here's how you protect yourself. You still keep your eyes and your heart fastened on the God's standard of righteousness. You know what? These people weren't carrying placards and protesting the pride parades. These, these people weren't running around trying to get elected to political office on the reform platform that we're going to bring righteousness back to Jerusalem. None of that was what they were doing. Is they refused to accept the change. And they brought their prayers before God for the sins of their people. You know what God said? I'm going to protect them. Now, this isn't a, a, a definite promise that you'll never endure difficulties. The Bible says that we're going to have difficulties. But I'll tell you what, if you want God's protection, here's how you get it. You want to be what God wants you to be in this nation. Well, here's how you do it. You don't have to give in to the lowering of the standards of morality. You know, one of the arguments that the homosexual crowd uses against uh, uh, for gay marriage, they said, well, the divorce rate among homosexual couples is lower than that among heterosexual couples. Okay, uh, liars figure and figures don't lie, something like that. Uh, that's because there's so few people and it's such a new thing that you have no statistics. Uh, but I'll tell you what, we would do a whole lot better if we could do a little better with as Christians treated marriage with a little more sanctity than they do. You don't have the right to just start over again if you're saved. You have a duty to preserve what God's given you. Listen, we don't have to lower our standards. You really want to torque the progressive crowd? Get dressed up to come to church. You know what they say today? Listen, I get dressed up all week for work. I can relax when I worship God. You know, I put on my best when I worship God. Not just because I'm the preacher. Because what I want to... And by the way, we have no dress code here. 
And I challenge you, do not let your clothes keep you from coming to church, ever. But, if I really want to torque the people in our neighborhood that are all for this sodomite, all i got to do is get all my kids and go walking around the block. All of those yours? Yeah. When you're dead and gone, we're taking over. I mean, it drives them crazy. We were in a restaurant upstate one time. And uh, we were going out, and there was a man standing there at the door. And one of my kids, he, he was getting ready to go out or something. He saw the kids coming, so he held the door. One, two, three, four. Are they all yours? Oh, yeah. Good luck. How many of you know who that was? That was Elliot Spitzer. Before he became governor. Okay. I'll take my life. I'll take God's morality. It ought to make you sad what goes on. But that sadness should drive you to your knees before a holy God. As it did with Daniel. As it did with Nehemiah. As it did with many of the men who confessed the sins of their people before God. And God, as He was destroying Jerusalem, sent an angel through to mark those men that still sighed and protected them. From the destruction that is coming. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from His wicked ways. We're supposed to be faithful as a people, as a church. We're still supposed to sigh. But we're not going to give in and start fighting fire with fire, my friend. We're not going to fight meanness with meanness. Cruelty with cruelty. The answer for sin is love. And we bring our sorrow before God. I want to go to one more verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 17 and 18. I'm sorry, two verses here. And we'll pick up chapter 7 and verse 1. Let's just read those verses. Uh, Paul is having an argument here with the with the church at Corinth and worldliness and false worship in the church. And he says, to summarize this thing, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can I tell you the secret of the greatness of America is in this verse right here, these verses we just read. 
not all Americans living in the colonies were patriots. History tells us barely 30% were patriots. About the same amount were still loyal to the king. And the other third, they just didn't care. I want to challenge you, of that third that were patriots, I'd say it was a small percentage, probably less than 10%, that were really Bible-believing Christians. And yet, any honest evaluation of this country and its founding, you would have to say that it was founded upon biblical principles and biblical morality. No honest evaluation can get away from that. Now, I didn't take time to do the math, but one-tenth of one-third is a very small percentage. And yet their influence has what given us the basic freedoms that have made this country great. I would dare say we have a much larger percentage of our population today that claim to care about Bible and Christ than we did in the colonial days. But here's our problem. When it says, come out from among them, that makes enemies. When it says, be ye separate, that gets people upset. When it says, touch not the unclean thing. Okay, show me. Bible verse. What's what's unclean? Wait a minute. Do I have to define unclean? Would there be someone in this auditorium that say, Preacher, I really don't know what you mean by unclean. And if we were to ask for a raise of hands, how many of you touched something dirty this week? See, there's a promise here. There's there's a promise here. He says, I will be a father, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. Some of the greatest childhood memories I have sitting on my daddy's lap. You know what? I have tried as much as in me is to make sure that every one of my kids, in fact, Joey and Jason are getting a little big, but they both think they can still fit. And uh, so I, I humor them because I want them to remember those things. God says, that's what I want to do for you. My dad's been dead and in heaven many years. 
But if I were honest with you this morning, I'd tell you there's still some times when I wish I could just sit in Daddy's lap and forget about things for a little bit. Anybody else ever been there? Let me tell you, God says, I'm here. And you're never too big to sit on my lap. It's never awkward for me because I'm God. But I'll tell you, there have been times when uh, little ones come up and they want to sit on your lap. Especially the little, little ones that are just walking. I remember one occasion, one of them, I don't, won't tell you which one, I don't even know if I remember, probably all of them at one time or another. Just comes toddling over and you pick him up and you go, oh, no. Mother, something needs to be fixed here. You don't want to do that to God. In fact, He won't do it. That's why He says you've got to come out from among them. You've got to stop touching the unclean things in our world. It's just so full of unclean things. But it says, having the, therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, holiness has always been God's standard for God's people. God has never lowered that standard. The problem is, we can never attain to it, no matter how hard we try. And so what do we do? We get discouraged and we quit trying. Well, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. That's exactly what these verses talk about not doing. If we will just simply... As one preacher put it, you take one step toward God, and He'll take one toward you. Only His steps are a little bigger than yours are. It's His righteousness that makes us acceptable in the love, in the beloved. It's His holiness that will allow us to enter heaven's gate. But He does ask us, to work on not soiling His holiness. That takes effort. And yet, it says if we'll put our effort that way, we can be that little child. I tell you, it's always been a small percentage of the populace that has influenced the world for right. If my people, those that sigh for the abominations that they commit, and come ye out from among them, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. He says, I'm going to be a, touch not the unclean thing, 
says, I'll be a father. You'll be my sons and daughters. And it says, having this promise, we need to ask God to clean up our life. You want to do something in these wicked days? Maybe the foundations have been destroyed. Maybe it's gotten to a point to where God's not turning back. God hasn't put those things under our exercise. But these things He has. And every one of them comes with the promise of His protection, of His love, and of His grace. So I'm not going to worry about what I can't know and what I can't do and what I can't change. But I do sigh in my heart for the great wickedness of our nation. Take it to God in prayer. I hope you've seen there's a lot of overlap in these three different passages. But there's a lot of promise there. From the God who never breaks his word. So my challenge this Memorial Day, if you really want to remember, how about we humble ourselves in the face of God? How about we take our sighs to God in prayer for the wickedness of our nation rather than cursing the darkness? How about we take a look at our own lives and give them as an offering holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service? God always blesses that. Always. And when God blesses his people, the society who's not his people benefit. All God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us.